1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au.
0: The more Jesus talks, the more they realize this guy is not our kind of God. He keeps trying to say that good people don't go to heaven.
1: Hi and welcome, this is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear about what life should be like with God from Luke chapter 14. It's one of Pastor Jeff's favourite parables and his message is called, Making My Commitment.
0: Jesus tells a great story, it's wonderful, it's convicting. It's about a first class banquet. Using this as a metaphor for the Kingdom of God, what life is like with God. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Glad you're here. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, one of my favorite parables in the New Testament. One of the uh, most exciting experiences that ever happened to me in my life, I was at LAX. Now, this is before I had seen any other part of Southern California or any part of California. Robin and I were living in New Zealand at the time, and uh, it had been a long trip for me. I had been on a bit of a speaking tour here in the U.S., On my way back to Auckland, New Zealand, I want to tell you, that is a long flight. You board a Qantas jet at around 11.55 at night, so you're already tired and cranky. And so uh, you board the plane. It's about 13 hours over the water before you arrive in Auckland. It's a a real pain, and I never look forward to it. So here I am. It's late. I'm by myself. Robin and the kids have already made their journey back. I stayed back to do some speaking. I come to the gate... I put my little boarding pass in that, uh, the agent uh, takes it and puts it in that little machine and it just pops right back out. And he puts it in, and it pops right back out, puts it in, and it pops right back out. He goes over to talk to the, uh, the, uh, another agent. They're whispering in each other like they don't want me to hear, like if I can't tell you're talking about me. You come back over, he, stick, he keeps doing this, trying to put that ticket in. Finally, he comes back over, puts it in, comes back out. And he says, Mr. Vines, I'm afraid you've been bumped to first class. Now, uh, here's the thing about that. I had never ridden in anything other than economy. I didn't go to business, I skipped right over business right on up into first class. And if you've ever been first class on a Qantas jet that has the big bubble, you don't only turn left, you go up the stairs to where the very special people. Uh, It was an amazing place. Now this happened because Ruth Turnbull uh, was the uh, managing director of Qantas who lived in New Zealand and she had done this as a surprise to me. So I want to tell you, Oh man, once you go first class, you don't want to go back to the cattle cart, I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. So I go over there, there's a guy with a bow tie, he meets me, he says, Mr. Bonzi, he knows my name now, Would you, can I get you, because he doesn't know I didn't pay for first class, that's the beauty of it. So he treats me as if I'm somebody, all right? He says, can I get you a newspaper, how about a magazine? And I, I just said, you know, do you, do you have Golf Digest? Oh yeah, sure, I'll get that for you. What, you got Golf Digest? Then he says, about every 15 minutes, can I get you something to eat? Can I get you something to drink? And he didn't show me a menu. It's like whatever I asked for, I could have. So I took the big plunge and asked for a Diet Coke and a Hershey bar, which is a big thing for us who fly in cattle cart, especially today, right? Especially today. But he kept bringing me this food and this menu that had fine dining on it. I mean, I was was so happy. I mean, the menu that we're not talking about now, salt-free, sugar-free, taste-free tofu. That's not what we're talking about. The good stuff with the real fat in it tastes really good. <laughs> and I just, I sat there in my chair, incidentally, that fo- falls completely back with the cover that comes over top and you can sleep the whole way, but I, I was afraid to, I was afraid I'd miss something. And so <laughs> I stayed awake. And every 15 minutes, and you had this own personalized video screen, you could watch any, I think like 20 movies, and you didn't have to wait for them to start it. You just started it and stopped it when you wanted to. It was beautiful, the way flying ought to be in every class, all right? But here we go. I'm seated there, and I'm th- I just start laughing. I mean, it's funny. It's humorous. I'd never been here before, and I'm laughing. I'm thinking, you know, just a few hours ago, I was uh, grunging around in, in my uh, backpack trying to find a granola bar, and now here I am with, uh, with chocolate cake and a steak, and I mean good steak, and you can order as much as you want of anything. They never say no. It was great. It was beautiful, and I deserved every bit of it. <laughs> In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a great story. It's wonderful. It's convicting. It's not about a first-class flight, though. It's about a first-class banquet. And he's talking about or using this as a metaphor for the kingdom of God, what life is like with God. Now, I want you to hear me. I want you to take this as coming from a pastor who loves you, okay? This is going to be hard. It's difficult for me because even though this is my favorite parable, it's the one I violate the most and I'm sure we violate it together and I want to make sure we leave getting it. So here's what happens. Let me paint the setting for you. You go ahead and look at verse 15. We'll get there momentarily. Jesus is seated around a table with some pretty pious people, self-righteous men. And all all of a sudden, one of them says, blessed is anyone who sits at the table with God. Now this is something you would say in first century before you ate. It's kind of like a prayer but you would expect a pious answer in return. So you would say, blessed is anyone who sits at the table with God. Somebody would say, may we ourselves be considered worthy. But in this group, the self-righteous people, they were snickering under their breath, they would be saying, yeah, as if any one of us around the table is not worthy. Yeah, right, we're worthy. Now, Jesus knows what they're thinking. That's the trouble with having dinner with Jesus. He can look right past your words into what you're really thinking, and for most of us, that's not good. And so he launches into a story about a banquet. And as he does so, we discover the heart of God for your life and for our church. Here's what happens in verse 17. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. So the time of the banquet has come, but in Jesus' story, the unthinkable occurs. This is a great banquet where the king is lavishing generosity, all kinds of stuff there, the best of everything. And people start actually making excuses why they can't come. Look at the first guy. He says in verse 18, "Uh, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Now land in the Middle East is limited and at a premium. No way you're going to buy a piece of land before you see it. That's the equivalent of us saying, hey, I just bought a house over in Glendora. I'm going to go see it now. Does it have any bedrooms? Is there a kitchen? Is it large enough? And does it have a garage? Both the host and the guest know this is bogus. It is meant to be a direct insult. Not trying to hide it. This is meant to insult the host. Then there's another guy. He says in verse 19, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Now this also is ridiculous. When you're going to buy some oxen in first century, you go to the marketplace or the individual who's selling them, and the first question you're going to ask is, does the team work together? If he says no, you leave. You're not going to buy them. If he says yes, then you take them for a test drive. This is ridiculous. It's like saying, I've just bought a car, and I've spent a lot of money on it. Now I need to go find out the year, the make, and the model. You're not going to do it. It's just ridiculous. It's meant to insult the guest or the host, rather. And then verse 20 which was an eye-opener for me this week. I don't know what your translation says. Here's the actual Greek translation of verse 20. It says, still another said, I have married a woman so I can't come. (laughs) It's interesting, that gets a laugh every time and it wasn't meant to. But it was good for me to find out that for over 2,000 years, men have been using their wives as an excuse for not doing something they really don't wanna do anyway. It's the equivalent of saying, my wife won't let me come or my mommy won't let me come out and play. Here's the deal. None of these are legitimate excuses. They just don't want to come. And here's the question. Why? Why would you not want to come to a first class banquet where there's awesome food and extravagance and generosity? This is the equivalent of saying when you get to the Qantas gate and your ticket pops out, you say, I'm bumped to first class. No thanks. I'll ride in economy. This is today
1: with Jeff Vines and his message called Making My Commitment is from Luke chapter 14. It's about the heart of God for His church. Let's continue. Here's
0: Pastor Jeff. Now, stay with me. Here's what Jesus is implying. Have you ever found yourself somewhere where you realize you didn't belong? I mean, you just don't belong here. This is not my group or class of people. Now, in the late uh, 80s, I was invited to attend the All Africa Conference. And the ambassador of the United States to all of Africa had asked me to give the invocation at this July 4th event. And they sat me right next to him. I'm from Tennessee. We we still eat with our hands back there. And they brought me so many pieces of silverware. And I found out that each of them has a specific responsibility, none of which I understood or knew. And I felt totally lost in the conversation and the food and all the stuff that was brought out. My wife was trying to help me because she's traveled all over the world. It was embarrassing to her and to me. I was a nervous wreck. As soon as I sat down, I realized I was not in Kansas anymore. Now, here's what happens. In the Middle East, when you send out an invitation to attend a great banquet, you only send it to your class of people. You send it to those who can have a reciprocal party, who can have you a party and invite you to it. And they'll bring you nice gifts. And they can help you climb the corporate ladder. They can give you whatever it is you want. You scratch their back, they'll scratch yours. You don't invite people of a lower social class. Now, when the Messiah comes... There's a great banquet associated with his coming. And the righteous, religious, self-righteous people just knew they would be invited to the banquet of the Messiah because Jesus, after all, or the Messiah, is their kind of people. It's all about good works and keeping the law and rigorous religion. But the more Jesus talks, the more they realize this guy is not our kind of guy. He keeps trying to say that good people don't go to heaven. And they had written reams and reams about what it is to be good. They were professional good people. And so Jesus is ruining their act. They've kept the masses under authority and power because they know what it is to be good. Jesus says, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. There's nobody good. So you're out of work and they want to kill him. The other thing is, if you're going to have a grace banquet, then that means all kinds of riffraff are going to come. That means we're all equal in the sight of God. No matter what class, no matter what culture, no matter what people group, it's the ultimate and in inclusivity. And they hate him for it. And that's the first lesson we learn in the parable. You follow along in your bulletin. Religious people always struggle with Jesus invitation. Religious people always struggle with Jesus invitation. Here's what I mean by religious people. When you place your faith in a system rather than a savior when you place your faith in a system rather than a savior. I was about 23, 24 years old. We're living in Zimbabwe. I'm at the, uh, our home there, the little farmhouse in Greencroft, Harare. There is a nice Mercedes that pulls up to the gate. Beautiful. Guy gets out well-dressed, very wealthy. This was a white Zimbabwean or a Rhodesian. I come to the gate. He says, are you the pastor of this church? I said, yes, I am. He said, would you mind coming to my house? My mother's dying and I'd like you to pray for her. So I said, sure, I'll come. I got in the back of his Mercedes, we drove down. Actually, I followed him in my little pickup truck, went down to the house. The whole family was there, kind of like standing around waiting on this woman to die. Okay. Almost as if I wish this she'd just go ahead and bite the bullet. So they take me back to the back room, close me in the door, and just kind of shove me in there with their mom and everybody else stays out in the living area. And so I go in there, her name is Sally. And I did with her what I still do with people today. I knelt down beside her bed and I said to her something very simply. I said, Sally, do you know God? And she said, she was very weak. She said, yes, I know God. And I said, have you accepted Jesus as your savior, as forgiveness of your sins? I wanna tell you this woman who was near death found renewed energy. She gave me a verbal bashing that I have not soon forgotten, most of which I didn't even understand. She said, what do you mean? I'm not a sinner. I don't have sin in my life. I've not hurt anybody. I've been good. There's nothing to accuse me of. I said, whoa, whoa. And the more she talked, the more aggressive she became. That She did not need forgiveness. And I thought of something that happened in Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus was having dinner with tax collectors and sinners, somebody asked him why he did it. And in verse 12, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, what does that mean? I mean, who are the righteous? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter three, ten, that there's nobody that's righteous, no, not one. Therefore, Jesus came for everybody. But the problem is this. If you don't think you're sick, you're not gonna call for a physician. And if you don't think you're guilty, you're not gonna call for a savior religious people who put their faith in a system rather than a savior aren't going to want to come to the grace banquet because they don't think they need to. And they're going to make an excuse any way they can to get out. And that's the ultimate deep seated problem of many of our relatives and our friends in our community. They don't need Jesus because in their eyes, they're morally pure. Now stay with me. When I lived in New Zealand, uh, I told you, and just humor me here, uh, I was at a meeting with Bill McCarthy, who was the guy that filmed our church service and broadcasted all over New Zealand. And I know you're tired of hearing that, that's just to put the story in context, Bill McCarthy. And then Bruce Reynolds, who owned Video Tours New Zealand, we were all together in a room one day. And they were trying to figure out how they could raise some money for a charity. And Bill McCarthy looked over at me and he said, well, Jeff, you were all American basketball player, weren't you? And of course I said, yes, but remember very small college, that's the operative word there, small college. And all of a sudden they started talking about Luke Longley. Luke Longley was an Australian born player who played in the NBA for the Chicago Bulls, a great basketball player. So Bill McCarthy and Bruce Reynolds are talking and they say, you know what? Why don't we have an exhibition match? You play Luke Longley one-on-one and we'll raise some money. (laughs) I said, have you guys completely lost it? There's Luke Longley and there's me. Now, relatively speaking, I guess you could call me good, but when compared to Luke Longley, that's a whole nother ballpark. Some people would even say, compared to him, I don't even know what the game of basketball looks like. Here's our problem. Now take this as coming from a pastor who loves you, okay? Here is the problem. In America, we severely overestimate our own goodness and severely underestimate the purity and holiness of God. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, he said, woe is me, I am undone, I am shattered into a billion pieces. When Peter saw Jesus for the first time, he said, go away from me. I am a sinner. He knew he was standing in the presence of holiness. But the bottom line is that we just don't take sin that seriously anymore. And we allow our children to be entertained by it. We pay good money to be entertained by it. And our problem is not wondering if we're gonna lose our temper and become angry when we shouldn't. Our real problem is that we're not angry when we should be. When is the last time any of us fell down on our face, prostrate before God, because we felt so horrible about sin we committed? And not because we got caught, but because we knew we had wounded the heart of God. When is the last time? In Africa, if you're going to approach the chief of the village, you come to the chief on your hands and knees. But in America, we're so addicted to our own human rights, there's no way we're gonna bow to anybody. And the problem is, now listen to me, it's coming from your pastor. Young people, I'm gonna come after you first, listen. The older people, they do love you. And even though they don't particularly like your music, they understand that if that's what it takes to reach you, they say, okay, let's go for it. But there is a concern they have for you that I want to be their voice today. They have a concern that your generation has brought Jesus so close that you forgot there's a difference. And that you're in danger of losing the reverence you're to have for God. That yes, Jesus is your friend, and he's closer than the air that you breathe, but let me tell you something. Even though Jesus is your friend, you're not the same. He doesn't take commands from you, you take them from him. And there's a sense of awe and reverence we are to have for God that the older generation in this room has, they've not forgotten. And they're just a little concerned that God has come so close that you don't revere him anymore. That's why sometimes I'll get emails about the communion time. And I understand, and we're trying to deal with it. But some of them think that when we do communion, this is a sacred, holy time that we're confronted with our own sin. Not a time just to be taken lightly, pass it on, and get through and get out to it and go to the next thing. They know it's a sacred, reverent thing that we come into contact with God, that we are in God's presence and he is doing his work in us. The point I'm trying to make, it's a silly man or woman who thinks that he can stand in the presence of God with his head held high, thinking he's good enough to be accepted on those bases by God. We are sick and we need help, the Bible says. We need grace, unmerited favor, and the cross of Jesus Christ provides that.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there for today, but Making My Commitment, a message about living with God as Lord of our life, continues next time. So please join us then.
0: How do we get invited to the banquet with God? How do we get into the Kingdom of God? First words out of Jesus' mouth, what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the Kingdom of Heaven.